0: Day. Hump day. Yeah. Nine and a wake up for Christmas. Kawabunga, dude.
1: Morning comes and you know that you wanna stay. Close the blinds, let's
0: the time yeah, I hope you're getting all your Christmas stuff done, right? I've done nothing. I don't even have my Christmas lights up yet, but I think I'm I might get after that today, but it might be too cold here. Yeah, right now. Forty-two degrees in Southern California. Okay, so I know that that shit, you know, the rest of you all think like that's all right, but I'm gonna tell you, it ain't. Okay, we don't. That's not while we're in Southern California. Okay, we don't play that game. Forty-two degrees. Come on, it's ridiculous. Yeah. 42 degrees sounds like 5 below. Feels like 5 below in California. I kid you not. There's some kind of exchange rate modification. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the moisture in the air. But ask my kids. They'll tell you. Yeah. I'm not lying about that. I mean, we lived in North Dakota, for God's sake. Yeah, it's cold up there. But it's a dry cold. Yeah, kind of like Iraq. Yeah So welcome to my house The House of Almerin Radio nah, nah, nah. How about that? Yeah Five and a half years old How about that shit? Crazy Yeah Coming on six years old <laughs> Yeah, amazing, amazing so uh welcome on a Wednesday. Grant Newsom gonna join me here in a little bit. And we'll get to uh you'll get to enjoy Grant's pessimism today. Yeah. Pessimistic across the board. So yeah, got that going for you. So if pessimism is what you want, pessimism is what you're gonna get. <laughs> get. Anthony Blinken. Oh, my God, man. What a sorry-ass Secretary of State. No kidding, man. I wish there was another way I could describe that guy, but there's not. Sorry-ass Secretary of State. There's an acronym there. S-A-S-O-S. CESOS. He's the CESOS. He's the sorry-ass Secretary of State. That's what he is. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Just rolling around the world, just, you know, just saying dumb stuff, you know, bloviating, not backing anything up, right? Perfectly manicured hands, his, his wonderful-looking suits, perfectly combed hair, Oh, by the way, he's coming home because somebody in his entourage had COVID. Wait. Hey, Tony, you got a doctor? Can we screen people? I mean, the work you're doing as the SASOs, the sorry ass Secretary of State, yeah, as the SASOs, it's moderately important to the nation, especially in that region of the world, vis a vis China. You savvy, bro? Oh, I got to go home. I'm not going home for shit, man. Send whoever got it home. I can socially distance. I've got a mask. Yeah. But we're going to hold all these meetings. You want to know why? Because they're important to the nation. Uh, Sorry, we need to go home. What? We need to go home. So, yeah. So good morning. Anthony, the Secretary of State, the SASOs, the sorry ass Secretary of State, he's coming home because somebody in his entourage got COVID. Oh. Nice. Um, I don't know if you can hear the heater that's out here in my garage where my studio is. Now just so you know, garages aren't very well uh insulated. Here in California and they've got vents. So when it's forty-three outside, I don't know what the temperature is inside here, but it's not far from 43, I can tell you that. So I've got my little space heater on, so you can hear it. Hear that? Yeah, that's the space heater. That's working marginally. It's working its ass off. Impact marginal. Um, I think I've got a I think I've got to block the vents on the outside of the garage. I got to get a little duct tape. Exactly. Do a little quality duct tape work. Get those uh those holes on the outside. Stop a little airflow and then snug as a bug in a rug. Yep, that's what I will be. And it's probably time I do that because it is December, so this will go on. It doesn't happen that much here in Southern California, but yeah, man. No good, so on that note, good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps band uh, will make this morning official. I just got to make sure all the all the volume knobs are in the right position, so when I hit the button, the right thing happens and they are good morning. This is dedicated to a bunch of people I get together with on Tuesday night. Um, I have a group of uh, that is in, let's see, we're in the seventh week of an eight-week course. But because of the holidays, there was a bunch of people that couldn't be there last night. So we kind of just um, shot the shit. And we shot the shit about the post-traumatic winning loop. So there's a trauma loop right? And it kind of goes like this. Traumatic things happen. And then there's all the drama that goes with all of that. So it goes trauma, drama, and then chaos. So chaos in your life. As this thing kind of explodes into your world. And you have this feeling of over being overwhelmed. And then So that's your world for a while. And then I think you begin to experience this sense of physical sense of dread when we have to go back there as the weeks go by, right? We learn how to fake it. We learn how to numb ourselves with alcohol, with shopping, with fitness, porn, sex, whatever, is your pick your numbing agent. And then time goes by and we live like that. And then we begin to develop anger, and or anxiety, uh, we seek help, the help doesn't help us so much, so we quit seeking help, and we go back to that hiding place, right, and that place of isolation, and then we, somebody who loves us says, you really do need to get help, and we take it seriously, because we know we do, and we go s- seek more help, and it doesn't help again. And so we reject this idea that there is a path that I can follow, that all this thing does is, you know, it opens these wounds, it makes my life worse, and so I'm just going to shut it down. And so we go to this place of isolation. Now, that's a traumatic event, does that with you, okay? Now, think about this. If you look at um, your life in, in this thing called, and this thing I call your cumulative traumatic burden, So, do you remember the little ring toss thing that you bought your kids when they were, like, two? Because they were such doofuses. They would take these, like, gigantic donut-looking things and put them on this, like, peg thing that had a little rocker on it. I don't know what that was supposed to do. Make them into coordinated human beings. Like, is that, like, some kind of big athletic challenge for a two-year-old? Well, maybe it is. Okay, but you know what I'm talking about, right? And the donuts were different colors. Anyway, if you you think of that, each one of those is a traumatic event, okay? So they would be different thicknesses, and they layer on top of you. And then the next time, you kind of go down the same path, right? Traumatic event, trauma. So trauma, drama, chaos, overwhelm, dread, fake it, and then it kind of merges as it goes onto that onto that um holder, right? That holder that goes vertical, boom, the next donut goes on. And then the next one goes on. And I and I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to live with it. All I know how to do is fake it. So pretty soon you get to this place of isolation. And that's how I do it. I fake it. I get through my day the best I can When it's bothering me, I find a way to numb myself. Again, whatever my numbing agent is of choice. And then we had this really interesting conversation about how we isolate ourselves. So we isolate ourselves in a very, very sophisticated way, right? We have like the holy of holies inside of which we don't take anybody. And those are the things that truly have devastated us. And um, nobody goes in there with us. But we have like a little area outside of that where when people want to talk to us, we'll let them go there. And they think they're in the Holy of Holies, but we know we're not. So our isolation is sophisticated. Like, yeah, you think we're having a serious conversation and you feel good about this, don't you? But we're really not. I'm keeping you away from, from what I don't want to talk about. So it was an interesting nuanced conversation, as these conversations tend to be. And then I talked about, and then we had this discussion about your cumulative traumatic burden. And so I have this picture of E.T. that I use in the presentation. Do you remember E.T. in the original movie when he's down by the river and they think he's dead? Yeah, that's what I. That's what I. That's the visual image I use when I talk about finding somebody by the the river. Well, it's the Valley of the Shadow of Death River. Yeah, because every valley has a river, right? So there is a river in the bottom of the Valley of the Shadow of Death, and when people when I meet them, they tend to be looking like E. T. laying next to the river. That's the visual image, and then if you can imagine on top of E. T are all these colored donuts, okay? And depending on the severity of the trauma, the donut is a different thickness. You with me? All that weight, I don't know how to deal with, and it pushes down onto me in my life. That's my cumulative traumatic burden. And it doesn't go away because trauma doesn't go away. And then we talked about the post-traumatic winning um, loop. So... Trauma happens. Drama is a much smaller footprint. Chaos is a much smaller footprint. Right? And you don't feel overwhelmed. Yeah, that's absent in the chain. You feel sadness, certainly. And you don't feel dread. The reason is because from this discussion comes this wisdom and this understanding of this path. I know what I'm going to go through. I'm mentally prepared for it. And so these things won't have the same impact, and there's certain things that won't even happen because of this wisdom. Ooh, that's some deep shit, right? So that's what I would love about these conversations, right? In the post-traumatic winning loop, you you already understand the mental fitness tools and the physical fitness tools. You understand those, and you begin to implement those. And you know you've got to talk about it and not fake it, and you do that. And then those conversations that you have beget additional wisdom. And with that wisdom, we're now better able to help other people that are going through the same thing, that have not benefited from the wisdom that we have. How about that for some deep shit, right? On just a bullshit Tuesday night. And then as we give that wisdom to other people, we transform our lives. We turn trauma into joy, and that's how you get to the winning piece, yeah, so we talked about that, so this is dedicated to those people it was all, It was an awesome night last night, and it wasn't it wasn't intended to be because we couldn't really have the 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 meeting that I wanted to have because we had we had a few people missing, and there had been such a great group together. I didn't want to do it without them, so yeah, very long winded way of saying. This is dedicated to those people uh, in the fifth post-traumatic winning seminar group. Very cool. (laughs)
1: say what you think, and you don't say honestly and bluntly. What keeps you awake at night? Nothing. I keep other people awake at night. For this campus had prepared him well. I'm very confident, so thank you very much. If this was vodka, it would be a lot better speech.
0: Never never gets old. I don't care how many times I hear it. <clears throat> wait for it, wait for it, here you go. But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. See, young folks, you ignore what I just said. That is so good. We just have to execute So good. And we are executing every day and so our major and I are very proud of what you do.
1: Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We gotta do what these Marines did here seventy five years ago. Persevere against difficult Challenging conditions and odds. You win.
0: You gotta win. Oh my God! Yeah, I just gotta look at the current temperature. Listen to this. This is hilarious. It's 39 degrees in Costa Mesa. 39. What in the hell? Um, Currently, partly sunny in 45 in Quantico. It is partly sunny in 51 down the coast at Cherry Point. Home of the world famous Second Marine Airway. Um, 29 Palm. sunny in 36 Camp Pendleton sunny in 39 (laughs) Camp Smith in Hawaii dark cloudy in 69 Okinawa dark cloudy 67 in Manila it is dark cloudy 78 and in Darwin where it's always hot it is dark cloudy in 85 clear and 39 here in Costa Mesa yeah high surf advisory cowabunga bro Yeah. Two weather advisories. What the hell? Uh, High surf advisory until tomorrow at 1400 for all you military types. That's two o'clock for everybody else. Uh, Small craft advisory until Wednesday. So if you have a small boat, yeah, keep your shit out of the water. The last thing we need to do is have to go out there and rescue your dumbass because you felt the need to be adventurous. Yeah. Nothing stupider than that. Seriously. Stupid. That's right. I can fix a lot of things. I can't fix stupid. That's right. There's a famous first sergeant saying right there. So uh, we will uh, check some news headlines. Um, if you'd like to see the both the trauma loop and the post-traumatic winning loop, yeah, spawned by a discussion about the OODA loop, then and it's not really the OODA loop is a is a competition with somebody else. Post traumatic winning loop, there nobody else to compete with, you're competing against your own ability to react. To life's traumatic events. So I would tell you one loop is indicative of ignorance. And there's no editorial comment attached to that word. It is literally people just don't know. And then there are people that know. And it's you see their path and what they do. And it's night and day. When you when you have the wisdom, and again, the wisdom that guided Admiral Stockdale at the Hanover Hilton, his understanding of the stoic philosophers, the fourth path, and all of that, yeah. So there you have it. If you'd like to see it, shoot me an email. I'd be happy to share it with you. You could let me know what you think. So with that being said, time for us to check the news. We always start with stars and stripes. Nuclear missiles in Europe become the latest thorn in tensions between NATO and Russia. Grant and I talk about this so what is the um what is the end game for vladimir putin he's He's created this event out of nothing right now he's he's saying that he's being threatened by NATO, and Russia is responding to that NATO threat on its western border. Hmm. And now he's threatening to deploy intermediate-range nuclear missiles in Europe if NATO doesn't make new promises. All right. So that in the news... What else? Let's see. The Article 32 hearing for the sailor who lit the Bon Armor shard on fire continues in San Diego. That's in the news. And uh, let's see. So, yeah, not so much that breaks squelch and stars and stripes today. Top headline in the Wall Street Journal is retail sales rose three-tenths of one percent in November. U.S. retail sales rose a modest three-tenths of one percent in November from the previous month, suggesting consumers are challenged to keep up with rising prices. That in the news. You know, one of the things that you read about that's very, very troubling is the disparity in the way hospitals charge patients. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal, three miles apart and $400, hospital hospital prices vary wildly, even in the same city. And you see some of the, you know, reporting now about that. And it's just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. You know? But it is that big game of big money with big insurance and big medicine and all of that. But very, very disturbing on some of the things that get passed along to individuals and how it varies. um, And how it varies from hospital to hospital. A little bit too much play in that system, I think. Yeah. The um, let's see. Top story in USNI News this morning: military recruits were required to sign a statement acknowledging COVID nineteen vaccine mandate before they. Go to recruit training. So that is in the news. Um, The President of the United States will nominate Senate staffer Eric Raven to be the next Navy Undersecretary. So who's Eric Raven? Eric K. Raven, Minority Staff Director, United States Senate Appropriations Committee on Defense, gives remarks at a sunset parade in Arlington, Virginia. He is currently the Majority Clerk, so he works for the, the Republicans that are on the Senate Appropriations Defense Subcommittee. In his role as the majority clerk, Raven oversees more than $700 billion of annual spending by the Department of Defense and the Intelligence Community. He served as National Security Advisor and Legislative Director to Senator Robert C. Byrd, fellow to Senator Ted Kennedy and several other positions for Senator Dianne Feinstein, as well as an English teacher in China. Hmm. Bird, a Democrat. Kennedy, Democrat. Feinstein, Democrat. Teacher in China, unaffiliated. And then, oh, the minority. So I don't know what party that makes So I would assume he's working for the Democrats now. In the Senate, because there is no majority, right? Raven, should the Senate confirm him to the position, would be the first confirmed undersecretary of the Navy for the Biden administration. So, that in the news this morning in USNI News. Um, At the Article 32 hearing, this is written by one of our favorites, Gidget Fuentes. Um, Headline. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms investigator. The Bonhomme Richard fire was deliberately set. No direct physical evidence points to the accused sailor. ruh So, circumstantial evidence points to a sailor. Do you think he'll walk? given the success of military prosecutions over the course of the last decade that i've seen i would say seventy thirty this guy walks doesn't make me happy to say that but military um military law military lawyering yeah not so much Um, top story in Marine Corps Times is a story that's making news across the country with the headline, Two Special Ops Marines Veterans Among Indicted in Double Kidnapping and Murder Case. What? Exactly. Two Marine veterans and a former Israeli Defense Forces member have been charged with kidnapping resulting in death after they reportedly were hired by a Texas man also charged to deal with an extortion attempt according to a recently unsealed indictment. Force reconnaissance Marine veteran Byron Brockway, 46, from Texas and Special Operations Forces Marine veteran, Andrew Carey, 30, from North Carolina, along with two other men, spent 12 days conspiring and carrying out a kidnapping and a murder plot, according to a Monday press release from the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Middle District of Tennessee. The investigation began with the discovery of two bodies inside a vehicle on Good Friday of 2020. Chief John Drake, that's my brother-in-law's name, my former brother-in-law, said when making the announcement, local news outlets reported, all four men have been charged with conspiracy to commit kidnapping, kidnapping resulting in death, and the carrying, brandishing, and discharge of firearms during the crime of violence. Wow. It all began when Eric M-A-U-N-D, Mound, a 46-year-old married owner of an auto dealership in Austin, Texas, allegedly had an affair in Nashville during February of 2020 business trip with an on-and-off-again girlfriend by the name of Holly Williams. A month later, the woman's romantic partner, William Lanway, reportedly threatened Mound via text messages saying that he would expose the affair unless Mound was paid off, document show. While it is unclear exactly what the relationship between Williams and Lanway was, when the extortion attempts were made, court documents reveal Mound began receiving text messages from Lanway on March 1, 2020. Rather than pay up, Mound allegedly sought the services of Gilad Pelled, 47, a former member of the Israeli Defense Forces and the Mossad. Israeli's National Intelligence Agency and owner of Spear Tip Security Group in Austin, Texas, to deal with the threats. And there you have it. Within days, Brockway and Kerry, the two Marine veterans, were allegedly brought on board by Paled to help handle Mound's situation. And I guess it went from there. So, um, yeah, you'll see that all over the news. You know there's some there's a story stories that go around that have me scratching my head and one of them you see is um mar- um service members who need like welfare and I have to tell you I don't understand that how do you get the point where you've had your housing provided to you, you're getting paid a salary, and you can't pay your bills. Yeah, I would say, to me, that's a head-scratcher. I don't really understand how that works. And if you have people that need money, then that means they've got themselves in some kind of financial situation that they can't get their ass out of. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Um... Top stories in early bird. Number one, thousands of Afghan allies, families are still trapped under Taliban control. Story in the New York Post. So these stories have been um, circulating the last 48 hours. And that is that the Biden administration underestimated the number of Americans left in Afghanistan. As well as Afghans who assisted the United States who are still stuck in the country. So that story uh, unfolding as we speak. Number two headline, U.S.-backed Syrian defense forces carry out deadly operations in eastern Syria. Kurdish special forces backed by the U.S. military killed five suspected fighters in an airborne operation in eastern Syria's deir Azzor province, according to the Kurdish forces. That's the number two story. We're talking about a slow news day, okay? Marine Commandant calls for focus on small forces, not just hypersonic weapons, to challenge China in the Pacific. Um, Well, if you listen to Grant Newsom, let me tell you what I would call on. You know? I would tell you that the United States needs to get its shit together in the Pacific in order to prevent a war. Right, because if we're gonna resort to all this all this stuff that's been thrown at us, right, the Marine Corps is a stand in force, right, that's gonna fight and forage against the Chinese. If we get to that point, yeah, I mean we I mean, God help us. The United States And its fellow members of the G7 have GDP that's four times out of the Chinese. Why aren't we using that as a weapon? Why aren't we making sweetheart deals with the Philippines, with Vietnam, and whoever else in the region would like it? Why aren't we encouraging our manufacturers, go to these places? They're not seeking to usurp the rules-based order that is helping you make all this money. And, And why do you give a shit where it's made? Oh, you mean the Chinese may bar your goods? Oh, got it. Uh, Next story. Military recruits required to sign a statement acknowledging COVID-19 vaccine mandate before training. We talked about that. Navy's East Coast amphibious fleet completes its move to Virginia. We talked about that a little bit yesterday. So, uh, the amphibious fleet now headquarters in in the historic Hampton Roads. And that was because the USS Iwo Jima arrived from Mayport, Florida. So, uh, there you have it. The United States Navy, East Coast amphibious vessels to Virginia. Congratulations to them. Overseas headlines. China China targeted Taipei's allies, while U.S. hosted democracy summit, according to Taiwan's foreign minister. There's a shocker. Taiwan, I mean China, acting like assholes. Uh, Ukrainian troop buildup is defensive. Okay, I mean, according to the Russian defense minister, I mean, don't you rubes know anything about anything? This menace that sits on our western border needs to be dealt with. That's why we have 200,000 troops. Okay? Ukrainian Defense Minister Oleksiy Reznikov said Tuesday that the former Soviet Republic has no plans to attack anyone and is gathering its troops for purely defensive reasons amid speculation of a possible Russian invasion of the Ukraine as soon as next month. In recent weeks, there's been a massive Russian troop buildup near the Ukrainian border, which has prompted fears of a possible invasion in Kiev and the West. Kiev is the capital of the Ukraine. Moscow has denied any plans to attack the Ukraine and has in turn blamed Ukraine's own military buildup in the east of the country where Russian forces have been fighting with Russian-backed separatists since 2014. Russian officials allege that Kiev might try to reclaim the areas controlled by the rebel forces. Ukrainian officials have denied any intention to do so. Oh, so let me get this straight. You're gonna do this two hundred thousand man force buildup because you think that the Ukraine might take back the land that you took from it. Got it. Got it. So the Ukraine is in defending its sovereign nation is actually the aggressor. You know, how do you know the Russians are lying? Their lips are moving, right? Uh, Blinken slams aggressive China, vows a stronger Indo-Pacific tie. Oh, my God. This is from Al Jazeera. U.S. Secretary of State will also visit Malaysia and Thailand as Washington seeks to counter China's growing assertiveness in the region. And Mr. Blinken's commitment was so strong to this trip As the Sasso, that's a sorry-ass Secretary of State, in case you forgot, he's come home because somebody in his entourage got COVID. But we're here with you. Rest assured. Blinken kills me, man. Absolutely kills me. Um, Next headline. Germany says Russia will face massive consequences if it invades the Ukraine. Germany's a great enabler, man. The great enabler on the continent, Germansky. New German Foreign Minister Annalena Bierbach said Tuesday Russia would face massive consequences if it invades Ukraine. I keep wanting to say the Ukraine, after a phone call with her Russian counterpart in which she said Kiev's territory integrity must not be violated. Oh, well, they've already violated it a couple times, right? Okay. All right, you did the easy part, Germansky. Now what are you going to do about it? You're just going to stand there and wring your hands? You better not do that. Wag your finger at him. Mm hmm. NATO rejects Russian accusations on missile deployment. NATO is not planning to deploy intermediate range nuclear missiles in Europe. The Western Military Alliance said on Tuesday, rejecting Russian accusations and a call by Moscow for a moratorium on this kind of weapon in Europe. There, uh, Russia's all, all of a sudden Russia's the being the one being picked on. Vladimir Putin at his best. Syria State Media says U.S. forces kidnapped civilians. U.S. forces carried out a large airborne operation near Dire Al-Zorn in eastern Syria on Monday at dawn, Syrian state news agency Sana said. Normally, right, that is a cordon and search and bad people who've been tracked are taken away. Now, when never quite knows right i don't know shit so uh we'll see if that in fact happens now with all that being said that is a look at the news and now without further ado my friend grant newsham I was gone last week, and so we did not get to talk to Grant Newsham. People are going through their withdrawal, so I thought I would massage that. And so joining me from the uh, Pacific Rim is none other than himself, Grant Newsham. Grant, good morning. How are you?
2: Oh, fine, thanks. It's uh, glad to be here.
0: I can ima- I, I can only imagine. The um, There's a whole lot of stuff going on, but I want to talk— um, I want to talk before we talk any before we talk about the Pacific, I, I I want to go back to Russia v Ukraine and um I want to get your thoughts on that evolving event. Um what do you think Vladimir Putin I, I mean I don't know what your thoughts are, but he seems to be the best in the world in terms of a world leader that plays this chess game better than anybody else. And so what do you think his ultimate aim is? Is it a um, another version of SALT that tips in Russia's favor? Because he's talking about deploying medium-range nuclear weapons in, uh, in Russia, uh, aimed at, obviously, Western Europe, because of this threat NATO poses to him. Uh, what do you think? is, if you could muse about his ultimate aim, what do you think it is?
2: You know, it is just speculation, of course, but I tend to look at him the way I would a very clever and uh, aggressive and ruthless um, mob boss or um, mafia boss. And, you know, what he wants is domination and he wants to have his opponents or his potential opponents, he wants them to be cowed and to be afraid of him. You know, when they Sort of see his face or hear his name. He wants them to cringe a little bit and think about what they're going to have to do to kind of make him happy or make him go away. And I think that's what he's after. And He doesn't quite know exactly what he wants. I don't. You know, he don't know that he has a plan for setting up shop in London. Although there's plenty of Russian um, gentlemen who bought up a bit of London, but I'm not sure that he has an ultimate game plan for where he wants to end up. But he's able to use this extortion, intimidation, really effectively. He sized up his opponents, and you know he knows the Europeans are basically spineless. Uh, you know after you know he's had so much evidence of that. Uh, the Germans, in particular, have been pleased to uh, sort of do what he wants. And this Nord Stream two gas pipeline is just you know exhibit number one, and exhibits go back twenty years, and you know, so he's got them and that's the Germans who are the big dog in Europe. Um, As I said, Europe, uh, English, the British haven't, um, you know, they've not um, seen a Russian oligarch, which is a nice way of, I'll just leave it at that, uh, that they didn't like, you know, welcome them into London with all their money for the last, once again, the last 20 years. Uh, So who in Europe scares him? Probably not too many people. And then he's got the Uh, say this administration and you know he sized them up as well and these are unfortunately they're you know good at debates and you know ivy league salons but uh, they're not really the kind of guys who can come up against a sort of a tough aggressive uh, mafia boss and a mafia boss is almost used a little bit generically here but to get the point across uh, so and he's reached some sort of an accommodation with the Chinese, and he's got the Indians, sort of some of them on uh, leaning towards him, if not outright, on his side. Uh, so he's managed to play this this card, you know his card is very, very well, and say so he's got his opponents kind of where he wants them. And you know, he's now nibbling at the edges, uh, well, he has been for a while you know, on his western border, and he's you know grabbed the Crimea. Just a, you know, a few weeks after yucking it up with uh, Barack Obama at the, the Olympics in Sochi, uh, and so he's got the Crimea. He seized a little bit of eastern Ukraine, and he wanted to get a lot more of it. And you know, so what, what he's going to do now is it's
1: you know, there's only so many options, but certainly one is he may try to tidy things up. Uh, in eastern Ukraine and see how much he can actually get. But to, to get there, you have to thoroughly cow your adversaries. And he's the, Euro, the Europeans, as I said, don't seem all that, or the, the Western Europeans don't seem all that interested in taking him on. And the Biden administration doesn't seem too interested in, in it either. Uh, so that's where I think it stands. And he's maybe waiting to see what he can grab and when the timing is right and to um, present himself as having been sort of aggrieved uh, by whatever the Europeans, whatever NATO has done, you know, presenting himself as being afraid of what they, they uh, pose as a threat to him, and thus he had no choice but to respond. And that, of course, is not true, but that's how he will catch it. Is he afraid of being attacked by NATO or from the West? Um, you know, I don't, that's been a, the argument. Since at least 1946, and I don't quite see it, you know, given what the 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 web, Americans and the West have in NATO, it has almost no offensive capability. Uh, missile-wise, the Russians probably outdo them quite a bit. So uh, I, I'm not sure just how much credit there to, to give that argument that Russia feels threatened and therefore they just want their security concerns addressed and then they will behave. As I said, we've been trying that for 75 years now, and it hasn't really worked. Um, So um, that would be, I don't really see him operating from uh, this position of sort of being afraid of the West attacking him or NATO expanding to the East. Uh, But he would, of course, prefer to have his enemies, his potential rivals, as cowed and supine as he possibly could make them and i think we're seeing this intimidation game playing to see what he can get out of the other side and we're of course a good bit of the other side
0: Yet he hasn't articulated, uh, at least that I've seen, the long pole in a tent over all of this. You know the the thing he ultimately wants. You know, so so he creates he creates out of hide this international event that is now drawing foreign ministers. And uh, you know, I, I chuckled uh, a couple of days ago when uh, Anthony Blinken and other foreign ministers of NATO, you know, said there there will be. A substantial price to pay if Russia goes into Ukraine, uh, right? It made me—I could hear you, you know, right? I, I could hear you in my head snickering um, at the uh, at the diplomatic class as you do so often, uh, because that, uh, nobody pays attention to any of that. Um, and so, to me, I, it's almost like the other shoe has not dropped yet. He's he set this stage. He's now um he's now articulating this threat that Russia feels uh from NATO as NATO advances eastward and um and this aggressiveness that uh, that Russia is feeling. Um you know, today he will meet with President Xi and which I find odd, and I, I want to get your take on that, because to me Um, You and I have, have spoken and you've articulated for us the most dangerous course of action for the West, the free democratic nations, is concerted action. And the Union of China and Russia certainly present a foe that would scare many into saying, you know, I'm really not into acting in concert with the Americans, but Dr. Evil and Winnie the Pooh Getting together—that's a little bit disturbing to me. Um, what what do you make of this? Right, they got their—you know—they got some ships together and sailed around Japan and, and raised some eyebrows uh, by sailing, you know, just off Japan's territorial limit and through the—I uh, can't remember which strait that was between uh, Honshu and what's the other island,
2: Hokkaido. Hokkaido, mm-hmm. yeah, up mm-hmm. up north.
0: Yeah. Right, and so. Um, what do you make of this union of um, strange bedfellows, which almost by nature uh, forces uh, countries that they're trying to peel away from the United States back towards the orbit of the West?
2: Well, it's it's really like-minded regimes, you know. Ultimately, the Russians and the the Chinese uh, under well, under Putin, well. Uh, Putin's rule and um, and Xi Jinping's rule uh, there's the, the same basically the same sort of regime that are interested in nothing but power uh, and keeping power and they're willing to do anything they can to get it so it's, it's they the minds are similarly attuned and they have shown themselves willing to cooperate up to a point uh, particularly as it um, Stirs up their rivals, their main rivals, you know the Americans in particular, the uh, the Japanese, um, and so the and the Indi, well the India that's a strange sort of thing as well, but they're interested say in cooperating to the extent it helps themselves, uh, as I say, to in, in, uh, make their rivals um, put them in a bad spot, and you can see where one way to look at this is in North Korea where the Chinese and the Russians are keeping that regime afloat and the Russians don't get much attention, but they've played a major role in supporting uh, Kim Jong-un and that regime. And think of all the trouble that causes us all the effort that we have to focus on North Korea. That is effort and resources. We don't focus on say China. And similarly, we don't focus on Russia all that much as a result. Um, So that. It serves to their purposes very well. Also politically, you know, they cooperate that gives them veto power at the all sorts of just veto power and general assembly, majority power at the United nations in international organizations. Uh, it allows them to challenge these, the so-called, you know, the, the rules that the West uh, made after world war two or before. Uh, and you sort of present themselves as a, an alternative as a rival uh, to the West. And, you know, include the Japanese in the West um, as well. Uh, but there's say so there is a point that to, it only goes so far. And for example, I think we've mentioned before that the Russians have this uh, pretty close relationship with the Indians for many decades, they were India's main arms supplier, and they recently sold the Indians a very, uh, like the S 400 anti uh, anti air system. Uh, which is very advanced, and the Indians are, and the Chinese have really been at war since 1962. Uh, the Russians have also sold uh, submarines to the Vietnamese, uh, sold weapons to the Indonesians, and that isn't quite the thing that you do uh, if China is your best of best friends. Uh, so it's a, there's a complex relationship, but I think you can distill it down to ultimately like-minded um, thugs. Cooperating. Um, if anyone's listening from Russia, please forget that I said that. But the um, uh, but these are tough guys, you know, and you know, that's and you know, once again that Hitler-Stalin um, example is often used as two uh, regimes, two people who really did not like each other um, and were fierce rivals, but they were willing to cooperate uh, and for limited ends. But it was limited ends that sort of caused the world all sorts of trouble, ultimately. And even if they did eventually go to war against each other, but for some years, throughout the 30s, they did cooperate. And the Russians played a huge role in Germany's um, military build up in the 1930s that often doesn't get much attention. Uh, So, you know, it does kind of, if I was 150 years old, this would all look really familiar. Um, but that's what I, I would see the some few comments on the Russia-China relationship. It it does disturb their uh, main rivals, but um, and it's just to their benefit. Does it actually cause people to come to our side uh, when they see those two lined up? I'm not sure. I think it it might actually um, work the other way in a lot of cases, particularly in uh, places like Latin America and Africa, uh, where it's um, you know, you, you have these countries which tend to bandwagon on who looks like they're going to be the strong, the stronger power, rather than hedging and trying to get a little from each. But uh, they do have this tendency, as I said, to go along to sort of get in with the good thing. And if it looks like the Russians and the Chinese are on the on a roll, that actually tends to draw people sometimes, maybe as often as it does uh, turn them away. But just my observation, that's one of those things you can discuss forever.
0: Interesting, interesting. Um, Next question, I want to go to, I want to talk about South Korea. A couple of eye-raising, I'm in North Carolina last week and perusing the news as I do, and I see that the president of South Korea, Mr. Moon, um, has announced unilaterally that there is a a consensus, a meeting of the minds between China, the United States, North Korea, and South Korea to end the Korean War. Nobody else made a comment on that. Um, a day or two later, he also announced that he would not support a diplomatic boycott of the Olympics this year uh, to be held in China. Um and I don't know that that's that eye raising if you pay attention to him, but if you don't pay attention to him, the fact that you see the Western nations of the world kind of lining up and South Korea, you know, say, yeah, we're not going to get in that line. Um, talk to me about those two events. Um, I'm sure neither one of them, uh, well, the, the Olympic one, I'm sure not a surprise to you, uh, as you've explained to us his, the way Mr. Moon leans. Um, what do you make of the unilateral announcement about ending the Korean War and not a comment from anybody else? Well,
2: it seems that the Americans have been unwilling forever uh, to sort of speak up to Korean leaders when they, mis- when they do things that are not in our interests, uh, And we just simply refuse to do it. And as a result, Luke sounds like he's the only guy with the microphone. Um, he made this announcement, and it was indeed unilateral. And I would bet you a lot of money that he does not have the agreement of the Americans uh, on this, uh, or certainly not the way that he's suggesting they do. You know, the Americans have, may have sort of muttered, "Okay, yeah, we can think about talking about an end of war agreement." And uh, but the, uh, Moon is saying, "We've agreed, and we're going to do it." And the two are very different. Uh, and it must drive the American diplomats nuts, but they've you know, made their bed and they can now lie in it. And if they're not going to speak up and you know speak clearly about what Moon is up to, what he's trying to do and what the American position is and why we have it and why it's good for us and for South Korea and for everybody in Northeast Asia, well, we shouldn't be surprised when, uh, you know, a guy who by his own record, by his own words, by his associations is... Uh, anti American, I I don't know that there's a better way to put it, Uh, and is more pro North Korea than he is pro democracy. And he thinks that China's natural interests lie with an alignment with the PRC. As I say, he's, it's not that hard to figure out, you just have to go back and do a little homework. Uh, And, you know, he's a guy that sees the US presence in the peninsula, the Korean Peninsula as the reason why the peninsula is divided. Sees the Americans as an occupying force, uh, and he would like to have the the alliance uh, disappear. And if you can announce the end of a war, end of the war, uh, make that announcement. Well, at that point, you can imagine 500,000 South Korean leftists going out in the streets and demanding an end to the U.S. presence because the war is over. Uh, even if in actual fact it is not. So Moon is playing his own game, and he's actually kind of worse. He's probably the most, the worst of all the leftist regimes they've had, or administrations, uh, in South Korea. And what you are seeing is a sort of a hardcore leftist who's surrounded by a coterie of even harder core leftists uh, trying to manipulate uh, events and manipulate the Americans into going along with something that ultimately works to North Korea and China's be- advantage. Uh, and it does fundamentally undercut the U.S.-South Korean alliance, potentially, if you play it out a, a few moves. Uh, but he's been doing this, you know, all the time. You I mean, remember how he was promising the Americans, oh, if you just meet with Kim, he's ready to make a deal. Right, Mr. Trump, just go meet with him and give peace a chance. And you know, he's able to, he was, sometimes he has some success in either enticing the Americans or just sort of wearing them down but the Americans need to learn to speak up. You know, It's not like the people in the Biden administration in the State Department don't know what's going on. Well, some of them don't, but, but by and large, they have a good sense of what, uh, what Moon is about, but they have never been willing to I say, speak up for American interests and also uh, put in a good word that might bolster the, those South Koreans who don't agree with what Moon is trying to do. So it's like only one guy has the microphone and that's Moon. And even if the Americans are saying these things behind the scenes, if nobody knows you're saying them, uh, it's not all that effective. And that also, what the, his, his predilection for the PRC, it, I think that does um, uh, explain to a large degree his position on the, the Olympic boycott. One thing that is worth mentioning, though, it's a little bit historical, not much, is around 2016, 17, when the Americans put that uh, anti FAAD battery, the anti-missile defense battery, into <laughs> South Korea, the Chinese launched just, just fierce economic attacks on South Korea and really hurt them. And the Americans, the Trump administration, did not step in to help their friends. And that was a strategic failing that unfortunate, uh, that didn't get the attention it deserved, but it showed the importance of providing that economic support to your friends who are under attack that we've talked about it before. But right. um, that is something that does shape South Korean thinking, even a guy like, you know, as much as critical as I am of Moon, uh, he does have a point when he says, you know, we can't afford afford the sort of the economic uh, consequences of getting China too angry. Uh, there's, you know, he does more to his positions than that because as i said he is effectively pro north korea pro china more than he is pro alliance with the united states but the that economic assault is something that all south koreans noticed and uh, don't really want to do it again and this it was a, a big mistake by the the, the new trump administration that uh, they should have done better on that one
0: the um i want to I want to come back to your point there, but I want to talk about the delisting of Chinese firms. Bloomberg just had an article <clears throat> and uh, talked about uh, uh, really securities regulators from the Securities and Exchange Commission. This is almost like, you know, how do you how do you get Al Capone? You get him on a <laughs> you get him on a tax evasion thing. What this guy's killed hundreds, maybe thousands of people. On his order. And we're going to go after him on accounting? Shit. Yes. And they do. And he dies in Alcatraz. Um, The SEC, um, you know, you wouldn't think would be the lead in terms of an economic war against the Chinese. But the headline is this. SEC moves one step closer to delisting Chinese companies in the United States. The SEC announced... Final rule requiring firms to open their books. Agency outlines criteria for delisting foreign companies. Um, so what do you make of this? W- will this be another game of brinksmanship in that the Chinese will comp- uh, will open their books to the minimums amount of scrutiny they can um, as defined by the SEC and avoid delisting? Or do you think that that's, some, that's a place that the Chinese will not go and the way this stuff is written, that they can't go there? So what are your thoughts on this? Because this is, this is not a small deal, the delisting, you know, on, a, on on American stock exchanges. Oh, I'm skeptical,
1: uh, you know, and I'm not just because uh, I'm a, half, a glass half-empty
2: kind of guy. But this should have been done 15 years ago, and it should have been done, like, the first time a Chinese company sought to list on an American exchange. So now we're just getting around to it uh, that I'm not convinced, I'm not convinced that this is serious at all. And if you look closely at it, you look at what the, uh, doesn't it require like the Chinese to be non-compliant for a few years or for some period of time rather than non-compliant for, twenty four hours after they're given the notice, uh, that it, it shows just how much influence the Wall Street crowd has on American regulators. And you know, this is not this SC, SEC chairman, but I think it was the previous one or the one before uh, who was you know talking big about delisting and this and that. He is the same guy that when he was a private lawyer just before becoming to the to the coming to the SEC, he had arranged the listing of Alibaba, the huge Chinese, uh, sort of IT, but ultimately a money laundering uh, operation, in a, a lot of it, a lot of ways. Uh, that he's the guy that arranged it, and then you put him in charge of cracking down on Chinese companies. But he's just made a whole lot of money from listing a Chinese company. Now he's going to stop it, and that I'm afraid is, you know, why I'm partly why I'm just so skeptical of this that it took so long. The enforcement uh, measures don't come into effect fat anywhere near fast enough or forcefully enough as they need to. And the Chinese, as you said, they will play that whatever the rules are, they will skirt right up to the edges. They will figure out ways around it. They will obsticate. Obs- obst- they will. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, boy, this is I forget the word, but in, they're trying to confuse and they will get the
0: obfuscate, uh, isn't it something ob- like that?
2: Obfuscate, Yeah, you know, it's it's to like deceive, confuse, and uh, and they've got very high-priced American lawyers working for them. These Chinese companies have, you know, all the money they need, and they hire you know the best American law firms, the the priciest ones, the, the most elite ones, to uh, do their bidding. And they are able to keep the regulators at bay for some period of time and just make life miserable for the, anyone trying to crack down on this. So say so it, it sounds good, um, but I, say I remain unconvinced uh, that it is going to be uh, employed the way it needs to be. As I say, because this hasn't been done for 15 years, even though the problem has been obvious for at least that long, if not longer. And... As you pointed out, though, this is something that does get to the, I think, the fundamental vulnerability of the Chinese communists, as we've talked about, uh, is their access to convertible currency or or U.S. dollars. And if you can't list on stock exchanges, well, that cuts down your access to these funds. It also reduces your legitimacy. Because if you're getting delisted, there's something wrong with the stock, and that uh, by definition, and that has um, a ripple effect throughout the so-called Chinese markets, and makes them theoretically makes them less attractive to these investor foreign investors who provide this convertible currency. So choke off the current the access to to dollars and yen and euros, and the uh, Chinese communists are in a lot of trouble. So it's potentially really good. It Should have been done a long time ago. I'm not convinced it's going to be. Uh, used as effectively as it should be. Uh there that's pretty uh disappointing here.
0: Well it's consistent though, right? Uh in your cautiously pessimistic approach to all things related to China and the American you know, the Americans can't see China because China's on the backside of a big fat wallet. And Which so you when, you, find, oh, when you when yeah. you talk to him Grant yeah. when you talk to him about these issues it's like they're just looking at you like you don't understand the money that's involved in this, right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't understand. Like, oh I know what you're saying about our national security, but, I mean, I, that's not even a concern of ours.
2: Yeah, you know, and keep in mind that if, say, an American company wanted to list on an American exchange, say the New York Stock Exchange, and they – approached the New York Stock Exchange, they presented the same information, everything the same as a Chinese firm did. The Americans would be, the door would be slammed in their face as hard as you can slam a door. A Chinese firm shows up and it's welcome in. And that has always been the case. An American firm could not get listed using this, under the same standards that Chinese companies are allowed to list. And that is, it was an agreement, as I recall, it was made during the Obama administration that there would be an exception to the rules of the Public Accounting Board uh, that rec- has, sets the standards for listing. It was an exception for Chinese companies. And it's, it, it's just it's uh, hard to imagine uh, that we have done things like this, but indeed we have.
0: You know, it's, uh, if you ever talk to somebody that's part of a firm that tries to go public, you will hear their stories of what a nightmare that is. Mm-hmm. All the all the red tape, all the scrutiny that goes with being a publicly held company. Unless you're Chinese. Um, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is uh, in your neck of the woods. Um, he is uh, talking tough. Um, what do you make of all this, Grant? Is this more... Um, hot air and nothing more, you and I have talked how, to me, you'll know the United States is serious when they begin to talk economics with, uh, I would say, in order of precedence, uh, the Philippines, Vietnam, Malaysia, um, and, uh, and Indonesia. So when you see that, I haven't seen that get, you know, he's there, he's talking about Diplomatic cooperation, military cooperation, economic cooperation. But I haven't seen anything that breaks squelch relative to economic cooperation and a sweetheart deal uh, that incentivizes American companies to produce in the Philippines, to produce in Vietnam, you know, and pick a, another country in the region that we did that strategically significant to us that we want to incentivize and relative vis-a-vis what you just said. Uh, to South Korea to insulate them from the impact of what certainly will be Chinese economic repercussions. Um, am I not seeing something? Are we just seeing more of manicured fingers rolling around the world, bloviating about you know the latest issues, or do you think this will be something different?
2: Uh, probably won't be, you know, wait a week and nobody will even remember that <clears throat> Secretary Blinken was there. Uh, it's, you know, it's easy to be pretty cynical about these things. And uh, but at the same time, you have to, you know, wait and see, OK, what is the actual outcomes of this? You know, is that the concrete outcomes of it? And in all of these visits, there's usually some sort of uh, business transaction that is sort of highlighted, and right. maybe even signed during the visit. But that's kind of a token. Uh, it doesn't address that sort of the, the the fundamental problem that the Chinese commercial interests have us uh, on the back foot. You know, our guys we don't tend to go to the ends of the earth and uh, invest the way that we sh- we should. Uh, there's you know there's good financial sometimes there's a financial argument to be made for that approach, but uh, the U.S. government somehow commercial interests have got to, to get get their acts together. Uh, but with the the Blinken visit. You know, it, and similar things, you, know, you can have Secretary of Defense come and make a speech. You know, I suppose that paying attention and showing up does help a little bit. But it, I heard a, I was had an exchange with a, an, a friend of mine. He's a Southeast Asian fellow. Uh, he, he's very good. And I won't say anything more than that. Um, but I had in my email, I had said, you know, I said, well, America, the U.S. government needs to do some things and it was in regards to, I think, Korea. And he wrote back and he says, yes, but the problem is that the Biden people are not good at doing things. And it really said it, you know, pretty well. They're they're unfortunately that, you know, they're they they can talk and they can even make nice nuanced arguments that are generally lost on a certain kind of person. Um, But they can't actually get stuff done. It'd be like, say, um, say some commander who doesn't have an XO. You know, without an XO, uh, nothing much happens. And we're kind of like the, the guys who can give the speeches, but we're not the guys who actually get stuff done. And uh, th- to me, that typified a lot of the many of the problems that we've, we've seen in many administrations, um, the, the Trump administration much less so than others. Um, but the, that a bit inability to say, get stuff done. So once Secretary Blinken is gone, Will, what will we see? Will there be more American ships in the region? Will they, the US, will they, they present a plan for increasing the size of the US Navy so that it is able to take on its global responsibilities, take on China? Uh, or are we just going to muddle along saying, well, we need to do something and then we do nothing? Um, are there going to be other countries that allow us into, into to operate from, um, from their territory? Are we going to establish an effective political warfare effort and influence campaign throughout the region uh, to counter the the supremely effective Chinese political warfare that's been going on 20 or 30 years? What are we going to see? Or is it just going to be a um, maybe another speech later on? Are we going to announce some new initiative with a handsome press conference and then nothing happens after that? Uh, You know, know, I'm willing to wait and see. But um, I think we have been waiting for quite a while, uh, you know, for the U.S. I said to get its act together, and you know, we could start. It, and I mentioned the the need for a, a decent navy. Uh, that's for starters, and it has been allowed to to lag for so long that I'm not sure that it can handle everything it needs to uh, around the globe.
0: This is getting depressing. Um. And to put the cherry on top, um Secretary of State Blinken um ended his Southeast Asia trip due to a virus case among his entourage. And uh, so he came home early. So in the in the land of the male manicure, um somebody gets uh COVID and we immediately have to we can't test, right, and segregate out the people that have tested positive, blah, 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 blah. We have to bring everybody home in in a very, very strategically important part of the world with the none other than the Secretary of State. What a joke. Yeah. Uh, it, it just you know, doesn't seem, like yeah. you said, it just doesn't seem like we're serious about you know, I, about yeah. this. We could even stay there, right? We could socially distance. So we could put up a few TV screens if you want, but you need to know... I'm not leaving for shit because this is important to the United States of America, and it just is. Um, I don't know. I, I just I look at Anthony Blinken. I do not see everything from what I saw uh, as we left Afghanistan, which he took very personally. I might add. I, I I just don't see him as a serious actor. I see him as a as a um, as a purveyor of the smokescreen. And you know he's well manicured, well dressed, well spoken, and he goes around bloviating this this non American nonsense that is not backed up. As you just said, where is the agreement? Where is pulling these nations into our orbit? Where is that? Because we desperately need that, right? Uh, and I I just don't see it. I don't I don't see him as a serious guy. Who 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 comes across in a very serious way? Whether he's talking about the Ukraine where he was last week, or Southeast Asia where he is this week, so I, I just find it disconcerting since we're using big words today. Yeah,
2: that is the salient point. But uh, um, <laughs> but the uh, well yeah, said. It, you know it's it yeah it that is is what it is. But it's um and you know I think you called it right. You would know, going back to the Ukraine a bit, the, you know, after this, uh, after the Biden Putin meeting the other day that the Americans, you know, they, you know, they offered to negotiate, to arrange negotiations between some of the Europeans and the Russians to try and understand, to dial down the temperature. That's the expression they used. And the you know, Europeans, particularly the Eastern Europeans, they've just gone berserk uh, over quietly. Um and you wonder if the word for Donbass is uh, Sudetenland in German. It, it, that's a reference to the that western part of Czechoslovakia that was handed over to the German, to Hitler in 1938 or so. Uh, and you know this, this belief that you can talk, that you can debate your way to success in foreign affairs, um, it, it seems to be what, unfortunately, a lot of these people are good at, and say, right, if the competition was who writes the best essay in foreign policy magazine, we'd win. Um, but if it's a competition between uh, who can slip enough of their Spetsnaz guys into eastern Ukraine and uh, take it uh, and do things that actually represent hard facts on the ground, well, we'd probably lose uh, as things stand now. Uh, a little bit, uh, you know, not a little bit, but that, unfortunately, I don't see us as performing all that well. And I think just the other day in in Tonga, you know, this island down in the South Pacific, apparently they had an election and a very pro-Chinese candidate was elected to run the country. And, you know, it's Tonga, it's sort of down their ways, but it's an important country if you use your imagination. And now the Chinese have got their guy in there. We've just lost the Solomon Islands for however long. And you go down the list and, you know, we're doing giving these speeches. Um, Secretary Blinken is announcing his playlist that he uses when he travels around the world to give speeches. I'm not making this up. You know, he I think, twi- twitted it or something. This is, is uh, the music he listens to. And all these things are happening that are, are real world things that are not good. And we we're, so we're just we don't seem serious.
0: He did that,
2: uh, as you said. Oh yeah, it, it it got some attention. By the way,
0: down. it's not, oh, not you don't tweet it, you tweet it, you dope.
2: Okay, well, when I, I mean, put my, it's like, Tom it's Jones. Uh, that's a out there, it's I'll, a, a tweet pretty large, it, tweet
0: it. Yeah. pretty large faux pas for a, a gentleman from Virginia who yeah, tries well, to well, disguise pretty, himself as a as a rube from Baltimore on yeah, many occasions. Well, so, yeah,
2: I told you, I'm tech savvy.
0: <laughs> the the no it's just you watch it and you sh- you shake your head you wrote a piece uh head the headline was i uh, know you don't write the headline uh experts say china's stance in indo-pacific added realism to five nation naval drill that's that, that doesn't really sound like a grant newton piece
2: it doesn't uh, i just gave some comments some lengthy comments but it um, what I think I think what I had said—that sounds like uh, a
0: reporter, what, a cub reporter for Stars and Stripes headline.
2: Well, it's kind of well. Well, I didn't say adding realism before we drop nuclear weapons on them. Which um, no, I think what, what I had said I was trying to actually give some credit where it's due. Okay, and that is that it's a, an exercise the Japanese Navy has been putting on for years called Annual X, and it's. Uh, it's always been about war fighting, you know, and the Japanese Navy has, has always run it and um, it, it's a serious exercise. And I wanted to point that out because we, you know, I am often uh, not entirely complimentary of things that the Japanese military does or doesn't do. Uh, but this is, a, this is a good one. And they brought the Americans there with a, an aircraft carrier and other ships, but they also let the um, Australians, come and the canadians and i think the German, i think it was the germans were there uh, and a few years ago the idea of having foreign ships participating in annual X other than the americans was just unthinkable and it would have ar- you know provoked this firestorm of criticism in japan but this time they've done it and there's nobody complaining it's just yeah of course we're doing it but it shows a seriousness on japan's part particularly the navy's part uh, that I thought deserve, was deserving of credit and they, they did it down they also did the exercise down sort of farther to the south whereas usually they would or sometimes they would try to do it where nobody would notice or they could say well it's not directed at anyone but this was took place down in a place that, Sure, makes it look like it was directed towards somebody. So that's what I was getting at. And there is a plus. What the Chinese are doing, you know, with these exercises, I think in the back of many people's minds is a sense that something's coming, or it potentially could, as opposed to an exercise where you know nothing's nothing's going to happen. Your big concern is getting all the ships in line for that photo X, where they, you know how they get all the ships organized for the last day. They take a picture of it all, and it's very handsome. Uh, But now I think there is a sense that uh, we're, you know, trouble is brewing and we might get ready. And that does affect the the nature of uh, exercises and the thinking of the people participating in them. So that's what I was getting at. And I I got some lengthy comments. So I think they they quoted me a number of times in that.
0: Whoa. And then made up a headline,
2: which wasn't bad. (laughs) uh, Did they? Yeah. Oh, go ahead.
0: Just for the record. A German warship sailed into the South China Sea on Wednesday for the first time in 20 years. All right. This is from Reuters. A move that sees Berlin joining other Western nations and expanding its military presence in the region amid growing alarm over China's territorial ambitions. Now, those 20 years were dominated by Angela Merkel. Mm-hmm. And uh, interesting, now that she's gone, um, you know, you hear things coming out of Germany that you haven't heard in a long time. So I don't expect Germany will make a quantum leap, but it is moderately eyebrow raising when you see things like this and you hear some of the other rhetoric coming out of Germany relative to the Nord 2 pipeline and things like that, that is much more pro-Western than Ms. Merkel's uh, stances over the last, certainly, decade and, and close to two decades?
2: Um, I think the Germans will pretty soon revert to, to normal, unfortunately. There'll be shortcomings in their defense, and they, I don't see the, uh, the interest or effort that's likely to be made to improve things. And so that's why I say I think things are going to go back to to how they were under the Merkel administration. They may speak up a little more about Chinese nastiness, etc. But I'm not sure this is going to translate into sort of concrete improvements. Just a feeling.
0: More pessimism. Nice. Um, In keeping with the order of the day, what? um, uh, give me a current event that you have your eye on in the Western Pacific that I may not.
2: Hmm. Oh boy! Oh, one thing I'm interested in—it's not so much a current event; it's just out of sheer curiosity. Uh, two things is the the um, Americans are in the process of, renego- of negotiating, renegotiating the so-called COFA agreements, Compact of Free Association agreements with the uh, the three countries in the middle of the Pacific: uh, Palau, Federated States of Micronesia. And the Marshall Islands, and the the as ter- we've talked about before. The terrain is strategic just as much now as it was in 1942, and it's it's important territory, and we've tended to ignore uh, these places, um, and that includes uh, PACOM. I think the U.S. military has paid attention more to the edges, the western edges of. Asia than it has the middle of it, and it's all important. Uh, but the Americans are negotiating these agreements, um, and I'm curious to see how these, the negotiations go. Uh, I, you know, I've never been impressed with the U.S. Go- with uh, some U.S. government negotiating, and I'm just say it's uh, we're time's running out, and we need to reach a deal. And I'm wondering how much priority the Biden administration will give it. What I've just discussed is something I mentioned is something that nobody's paying attention to except for, you know, a few people who focus on these things. And of course, the, the people in these countries focus as their leaders do. But I'm not sure it's the highest priority of the, the Biden administration, but it's absolutely strategic uh, terrain. You know, And as I've mentioned, you know, look at what has just happened in the Solomon Islands. Look what happened in Kiribati, uh, former Tarawa, uh, Tonga. You know, every, things are shifting towards China. And I'm wondering, I don't see the sense of urgency on our side. So that's something I'm watching, uh, to see how it uh, turns out.
0: No, you know, we are much more into a discussion about standing in forces inside the first island chain about the army's role in the Pacific should a should a war come than doing the, the blocking and tackling, uh, in the region that would Prevent such conflict from ever occurring, and it, it's just i don't i you look at it grant you watch it, you read about it, and it's just head shaking why well, the united states the g seven you know don't have their act together uh in a way that 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 continues to reinforce the Western view that a rules based order will dominate <clears throat> the next century. That we are not afraid to assert ourselves diplomatically, economically, and with these islands militarily, you know, a little bit in terms of their protection and whatnot, we're just, we're absent. And it's just, I don't, I don't know, it's just uh, distressing um, in keeping with the theme of the day. What about, um, what do you, what do you, what you are your thoughts on a diplomatic boycott of the olympics i at first was like uh here we go again but you know now i'm kind of i believe i I don't know maybe my hopes are so dashed and i'm such a minimalist in terms of our any expectations relative to what we'll do in terms of confronting china in the variety of ways we do it but i will say this the fact that the germans are in the pacific means something Right. The fact that all these nations Mm -hmm. have 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 sortied ships to the Western Pacific means the because that was not happening five years ago means the world is now at least seemingly um, opening its eyes to the threat China poses and the need to be there and have a military presence. And so while at first I dismissed the economic boycott or or the uh, diplomatic boycott, I now don't think. I don't dismiss it in the same way because I think anything that publicly confronts China is a good thing. And so, but I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it because I know you have such a normally just such a jaundiced pessimistic view of the world. I think I should ask you.
2: Well, yeah. And I'm a, I'm a sportsman. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely the guy to ask (laughs) as, uh, um, the, my take on it is the, it, it's like the, it's something I'd maybe com- use a baseball analogy. It's like hitting a single and maybe driving in a run, uh, as opposed to hitting, uh, a, a triple and driving in three, you know, ones a, they're a lot different than the other. Right. And I think we could have got that triple and cleared the bases, uh, if that's what you call it. And, um, in, but now I think it, we're going to get like a single. And the other side, from the Chinese perspective, they they don't like it. But it's a lot better than it could for them than it could have been. Right. Uh, and you know, but so it's a, it's some success, it's some progress, some success, but not nearly what it what it might have been. Um, and well, you know,
0: really, the 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 organization that took a stand that raised many eyebrows around the world was you know of all of all organizations. Uh, I think the United States tennis association mm-hmm. that said we will not sanction another event in China until we find out that our player is, um, is safe and we don't believe any of these, you know, made for TVs events no. where they trot her out. And it was, it was refreshing in its militancy from a tennis association for God's sakes. Um, yeah. It was, it, it was, I was well, I, I, I agree.
2: I was impressed with it. You know, it was showed more backbone than anybody. Um, you know, take go down the list, but you know, the test will be if they stick with it, or if, say, some, a few months from now they decide, well, our concerns are, it's worked out. And but it, they did. It was impressive uh, to see that. Um, it's also, you know, worth. You know, I've read some stuff because I was curious because I remember the nineteen thirty six. A berlin olympic games or at least hearing about it because jesse owens and uh, was you know we were little that was a big deal and i've read recently read some things about it because i've pretty had a feeling that it would seem awfully familiar to today and it, it did and there was um in all things it was a very good report put out in 2006 i think by npr and they did a very good job of describing the political controversy in 1936 over participating in this event in Berlin that was going to sort of showcase the the wonders of the Nazi regime. Uh, And how you looked at it, and there was opposition to participating, there were some limited boycotts, etc, etc. And it did embarrass the Germans somewhat. But if you look at 1936 and then you play it out to 1945 and you think of everything that happened after that, um, you know, you kind of wonder if 2002 we're going to, you know, have a little sort of bit of a fuss over the Olympics, but other events start playing themselves out after that. That you know, you maybe we, you know, maybe a full boycott of the Olympics wouldn't have made all that much difference, but. Sometimes when you placate these kind of regimes and you know think that they're going to be that a, a little bit of punishment's going to set them straight, that it really doesn't. It just sort of you know sort of nudges them a little bit, but they just keep full speed ahead with what uh, they're going to do. Uh, so you know I see it's you know say it's a single rather than a triple, or even better a a grand slam, say so going yeah. out of, of clearing be- the wall at Camden Yards or something like that.
0: It'll be interesting to see if anything happens during the games. That, um, and I think I mean these things are fraught with peril for the Chinese. Mm. Um, uh, the world is watching, and if um, and if and if they do what they do, and the entire world is watching, um, that's probably not a good thing. So uh, I would say there's a few nervous people. I mean, and 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 really, mm-hmm. this tennis player's accusation, you know, is typical of. of you know of of what you see right in terms of the way the chinese handle this thing they simply say yeah it's a non issue right um she's gone away and uh he is continuing in his role and we have nothing else to say about it and you're expected you're expected to like it and mm-hmm. uh yeah. so it'll be it'll be interesting theater to watch as china navigates that with the world watching and uh oh, so God.
2: And I tell you, I am just on, uh, I, always, I live for the Winter Olympics.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, what
2: about... Uh, what I'm you, sure pretty much you do probably do too, I think.
0: That. Yeah, I mean, other than the hockey, uh, what else do I watch? I don't know that I watch, you know, I don't. I watch American the, athletes yeah. and I hope I, we do I'm good. The curling
2: guy, yeah. The, the like the Canadians, yeah, I'm the curler. Yeah, so. the curler, that's
0: a huge sport in yeah. Canada. That's one of the most that's watched most, events. That, I usually uh,
2: twit out the results. <laughs>
0: you can you can twit them out. What do you? What's the next thing you're writing?
2: Um, I've got I wrote something just the other day uh, about um, sort of my thoughts of Japanese politician, sort of Japan and the war, uh, the war World War II. Because every year the some Japanese politicians visit this place called Yasukuni Shrine in right. Tokyo. And there's a few Japanese war, convicted war criminals, you know, um, memorialized there. Uh, and but it, it memorializes like everyone who's died in a war on Japan's behalf since 1865, something like that. And that's what that's what it's for. But they go and visit there and the Chinese go berserk and the Koreans do as well, saying Japan is turning, you know, no remorse is turning into um you know, a militarist country and is going to threaten safety and peace in the region. It happens every year. And the Chinese are predictably, they complain. And there's always a few foreign reporters who write the same thing. And a reporter friend of mine asked me the same thing, you know, he was because he had an article in mind. And, you know, is this the, you know, are these rightists or is this their chance to make a move? And I wrote him this long reply, you know, just laying it out how I saw things Um, and that's what this article is, is basically my reply, uh, trying to sort of give some context and some nuance to uh, sort of the, sort of how how Japanese view World War II, but also how I view it and the Japanese role in it because I obviously lived in Japan many years and helped them get their kind of their new Marine Corps. Right. Um, and I grew up like a lot lot of people my age with stories of the Japanese prison of war camps, uh, and, you know, of stories of Japanese army depravity towards helpless people. Um, so it's ironic. It's so that's what I'm trying to get across is just to sort of give some sort of my take on things and, you know, how it all at some point you sort of sit back and say, Hmm, what's it all mean? And, well you you know, know, that's the, Grant, the
0: piece. When you, in a world that doesn't do nuance anymore. And again, I, I, I have um, engaged with people about the bleaching of American history. Mm. And so rather than study the nuance of it, to look at the decisions that got made, why we made them, understanding the complexities, and tell the whole story, right? Thomas Jefferson Mm -hmm. and George Washington owned slaves. Slavery was legal in the world at the time. Okay. Now we can we can argue two hundred and some odd years later about the merits of that, mm-hmm. and we could certainly have a great argument about that. I think it would be a relatively short one, but in the world that they lived in, that was legal. So, uh, if you want to if you want to understand history, right? Maybe you should investigate that. Maybe we should discuss that. Maybe we should discuss how even nations like. Great Britain which was lord of the seas they although they outlawed right the slave slave trafficking they didn't outlaw slavery initially so you couldn't move them but you could own them
1: mm-hmm.
0: still yeah. and so you and so when you, it's the it's that nuance that you speak of and even in you know relative to the civil war the American civil war initially the southern states were not allowed to erect memorials Well, ultimately, why did a nation agree to allow that? And in order, and again, the bloodiest war in American history to this day, the American Civil War. And interestingly enough, relative to the American Civil War, it was the bloodiest war, and we had 10% of the population that we have now. Think about Mm -hmm. that. Think about it being the bloodiest war in our history with 10% of our population and the impact that had on the nation, both in the North and the South. So ultimately, in order to bind the wounds of the nation, as the nation sought to recover from that, the South was allowed to memorialize their war dead, right? And so without the nuance of history, Grant, I mean, it's just, to me, disgusting, and so maybe... When we take those statues, we put them in a park and we tell that story. And we also say within three blocks of here in this building, in this building, and this building, you know, 200,000 black human beings were bought and sold.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah. that
0: is the whole story. And we miss all of that by bleaching our history and the same thing when you want to give an oversimplified version. So the Japanese, how many million, how many people were killed? How many soldiers were killed uh, in World War II on the Japanese side?
2: It's about three plus million, uh, but that includes civilians.
0: Three Uh, plus million. I mean, Mm -hmm. the American toll was what?
2: About three hundred
0: thousand. Three. Think about. that. I mean, yeah. and so we read these headlines. We don't consider it. And 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 you know, here's here's a population. Those Japanese young men, they left believing in their country, just as American Marines left the United States, believing in theirs. Right, and to say that they're victims in this, um, you know, you would you would risk. Being uh, being vilified as a fool and a, an apologist and, and all the other shit, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and again, and, and nobody's saying that you know the raping and the murder, you know, that happens in war is right. But the Japanese soldiers who starved to death on Guadalcanal, the Japanese soldiers that were burned, and 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 uh, and, I mean, what the Marines did to them in the tunnels of Iwo Jima. When they dumped salt water into the tunnels, poured fuel on top of the salt water and lit it on fire, I mean, those soldiers died alone, right, burning to death for their emperor, right? So to not be able to in some way honor them, but again, to a nuance <laughs> in, a, in a world that doesn't do nuance anymore, good luck, Grant. Let me know how that works out for you.
2: (laughs) Oh, I think it will offend everybody. Right. But uh, no, but I called it like I see it. And, you know, that's, as you say, it's that nuance to things. And um, that's what I tried to do. And so, you know, it's... um, of course, my reporter friend didn't use anything that I took. <laughs> there's a <laughs> shot. He wrote, it. shot. He, wrote he, had, he had it written before I wrote it. Right. But he wrote it in parts. His piece was actually informative, and I thought good. But as I say, he didn't listen to anything.
0: Well, you know, and and it, but it, again, it is that nuance that makes for the interesting discussion. Yeah, and makes mm-hmm. history come alive. And you know, and. You try to struggle with the questions that they struggled with. And mm-hmm. when you put somebody in a position where, no, 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 you can't be a person in 2021. You have to be, you know, I even the 1936 Olympics, the Holocaust had not happened yet. Okay. So you have this kind of thug and this militarization of Germany that's ongoing. Right, watching the beer hall push mm-hmm. and all the things that that were, were coming out of the National Socialist Political Party at the time. World War Two hasn't happened yet, and so you know you, and so looks a little bit different before the before Nazis is, is attached to Holocaust. Mm-hmm. But again, you would have to be into like looking at it with open eyes, and I just think we lose such great opportunities to educate and to understand the nuance and to use history to do that. And again, in the United States, we've convinced the most advanced diverse nation on the planet that it is the most racist nation on the planet. Yep, It's amazing to watch on a daily yep. basis. And, and again, you just extend that invitation. Go take a little trip around the world. You want to see racism, <laughs> go to Asia, yeah. go to the Middle East, and then come back and let me know what you think about where you live now. Yep. So, anyway, all right, Grant. What else haven't What haven't I asked you without which this is complete? As I let, without which this would be incomplete. As I let you go this morning.
2: Oh, I think it's complete. I my you do humiliation think it's complete. is complete. Yeah, over uh, having you said twit rather than tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I've been exposed. I've always thought of myself as tech savvy, and uh, and a foodie as well. But no, I. <laughs> No, it. I think you've. It's it's complete. You know, I've had uh, both triumph and uh, humiliation
0: <laughs> so in there, one hour. So sorry. we can call it. So we can call it a day. All right, Grant. I think so. Well, first of all, thank you for doing this, and good catching up with you. And uh, we'll talk all to right. you hopefully next week.
2: Okay, sounds good. Thanks right. a lot.
0: You bet. All right, all right. That is Grant Newsom here on a Wednesday morning. That'll do it. On a Wednesday. Yeah, Grant. Cautiously pessimistic. That should be on his tombstone. One of the great lines of American history. You know, there's a line in the Justin Bieber song. Not to compare Justin Bieber to Grant Newsom, but I will. The song is called Love Yourself, right? And the lyric is this. My mama don't like you and she likes everyone. And I just think it's a great, great line. It makes me laugh every time I hear that. Right? In this song. (laughs) Right? My mama don't like you and she likes everyone. Um, cautiously Pessimistic is right up there as well. Yeah. And um, so, Grant's awesome. Yeah, I always, I, I always say this, and it's true that I probably learned more uh, in my discussions about something I did not really understand the nuance of, at, and I learned it at Grant's um, Elbow Um, listening to him and talking to him and hearing him explain, you know, what we do. I mean, the Secretary of State is coming home because somebody in his entourage, you know, developed COVID symptoms. Really? Really? Isn't the foreign policy work of the United States of America in that region more important? Can't we screen everybody? I'm sure you got a doctor traveling with you. Can't we screen everybody? Can we continue our agenda? Because it is important. Oh no, we got to go home. Fuck that. I mean, what are we, fucking babies? Blinking, man. Let me tell you. I do not like that guy. This is personal for me. Bro, hide your manicured fingernails when you say that shit. We're talking about a war. Clown. Blinken. And that's an insult to every fucking respectable clown out there. That guy. Blinken and his crew is what enables conflict. Okay? Okay. Yeah, guys like that. Where the fuck is the economic agreement that brings him closer to the West? Answer, not a whisper of it. So, on that cheery note, have a great Wednesday. The Mensa brothers will join me again tomorrow for another fascinating look into their lives, their wit and wisdom, their ridiculousness, but most of all, they make me laugh. Yeah. Yeah, they're my friends. <laughs> and I like having them on. So you'll get to hear those fools tomorrow. So, on that note, have a great Wednesday, hump day. Nine and a wake up till Christmas. So, you better do your shopping. Um, If I can help you help somebody, I just did something. A guy asked me about, have you, he asked me if I knew who John Boyd was. Do you know John Boyd is, Mac? Do you know what the OODA loop No, he asked me if I knew what the OODA loop was. I said, do I know what the OODA loop is? I invented it, I think. Oh, no, Colonel Boyd did. I just think I invented it. And so he said, have you ever thought of applying it to post-traumatic winning? And I went, ooh. So I did last night. And then I had a meeting with my seminar group. Yeah, the Tuesday group, they're off the hook. Awesome. Yeah, honestly. Crazy good. And so, Um. yeah, I should have a discussion about that. I should have a discussion about that. But I won't. On that note, have a great day. I'm Mike McNamara, this is All Marine Radio, and just in time for the music to run out. I'm out.